This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 624, brought to you by Harry's. To get your free trial set, go to harrys.com slash iFanboy right now. And iFanboy listeners just like you. to the iFanboy pick of the week. This is episode 624. I'm the internet's Paul Montgomery, and I'm back. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, Paul. I'm sitting in for uh, for Josh Flanagan, who we think has made it all the way to the West Coast. Yeah, he got in his car, as we discussed last week, and just, just, just started driving. And so now evidence has shown he is on the West Coast. Manifest Flanagan. I Paul, like it's great to have you back. It's good to be back. I'm sorry we had to take such a long hiatus, and <laughs> you guys have been without the show for so long. New listeners may not know or maybe know, Paul was one of our hosts for, I think, two years. Hello, millennials. <laughs> two How years ago? Three years ago? I don't remember. But it's all blurry, yeah. but you, you, Paul was, a, was one of our hosts for two years. I was second Becky. You were second Becky, and it's good to have you back. You went and did Scrubs for a while. When did Scrubs for a while? And now, see, the timing is perfect. Roseanne's coming back. This is a promotional thing. Right. Second, Becky is here. So thanks for coming, Paul. I'm very excited to do this with you. I was thrilled to be invited. And this was a, this was a fun week of books. Yes, uh, there's a lot of number ones this week and a lot of continuing books that I really like. So uh, I'm excited to talk about those. So we are iFanboy. And every week, we read our stack of comics. And one of us picks their favorite book. And we call that the pick of the week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick. And maybe if you have some time, read some listener mail. It'll be fun. Now, here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. There will be some spoilers. Exercise some caution. This week, Connor has the pick. Yes, and it's funny because the pick that I had, mm-hmm. uh, I read last week. Because Dr. Star and the Kingdom of the Lost Tomorrows, number one, by Jeff Lemire and Max Fumora, Fumara from Dark Horse. 
the latest spinoff of the Black Hammer universe, right, was originally listed on the Diamond shipping list. It's coming out last week, but didn't come out, or most stores didn't get it. It wasn't a comicsology. It was a bit of a mess. It happens every once in a while, not very often. But we had gotten it, obviously, from Dark Horse, from the PR team. So I read it, thinking it was going to be out, and then it turned out to not be out. So I loved it last week, and I was reading the new comics, and I thought, well, nothing so far is beating Dr. Star. And I reread it, and I was like, yep, nothing has beaten Dr. Star. Because, as we've discussed many times in the show, this tribute to the DCU that Jeff Lemire has created with Black Hammer is just delightful. And this is just the latest really delightful part of it. Yeah, you flip this open, like, that, hey, that's Starman. Yes, the character is named James Robinson. Like, at first it was just Jim Robinson, and then as you read more, James Robinson. Okay, they're really it's, – it's all out there. So I noticed that with this, you know, he's doing JSA and Starman, basically, yep. at Dark Horse. Other DC sort of homages of different levels with the Black Hammer stuff, as I understand it. And you haven't been reading those? You would love those books. I have the first collection. i got to get into that. Yeah. I know, it looks like something I'd be very much into, but this is actually my first experience with it um, outright. But then also – they just announced he's doing the Sentry at Marvel, which is essentially doing Superman at Marvel. Right. And he's doing the Terrifics at DC, which is essentially doing the Fantastic Four at DC. He's found a groove. And someone mentioned on it was either our Patreon page or our Facebook page that this was Astro City level stuff. I have to agree because Astro City is more about the people. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stories about the superheroes and the characters, but it's really sort of a ground up view of everything. And this is a pure on Silver Age superhero story. It's taking the tropes, taking the archetypes, and telling these new stories with them. And here, as you said, it's all about Dr. Star, who is his version of Starman, whose real name is James Robinson. James Robinson, of course, wrote Starman. Who, mm-hmm. he, and he made a brief appearance in, I believe it was the uh, Sherlock Frankenstein miniseries. Okay. We flash back to when he was younger and when he was with a JSA-style team that has a very on-the-nose Hawkman character. Yeah, Wingman. The most on-the-nose looking of all these characters. Like, that is blatant. Like, <laughs> like that, and I appreciate that because there's no pussyfooting around. Like, this, it, like James Robinson is the name of the character. Like, right, it's I mean. Just, it's right out there, all out there. He doesn't look so, I mean, his last appearance, he really looked like James Robinson. Here he looks slightly like James Robinson. He has just created this really, really great throwback world that's still done in a modern storytelling style, but has that feeling of a throwback. It feels like kind of like when you read the Minutemen series that Darwin Cook did or mm-hmm. or those mm-hmm. kind of flashback tales. Or it feels like it was set in the 40s, but it also feels very modern. It doesn't feel hokey. And Max Fiumara... This art is just absolutely terrific in this book. Yeah, I think you, I think you make a, a really good point in that it feels throwbacky. There's some parts that are iconic, but then there's also some bits where you sort of see some of the blemishes, mm-hmm. like when when you go to the Robinson apartment. You know, it's you know in this tenement building, and you can see the laundry hanging between you know the houses and stuff, and they're not you know living in a Norman Rockwell painting. Right. They're living in, in, in very much the, what the reality was for people in the 40s. And not, not like well-off people. This isn't yeah, exactly. a bunch of Bruce Waynes running around. And we see, we've seen that before in the other series with Black Hammer and, and his life in the background. Here we see, you know, this is... So James Robinson's character 
is a really smart inventor who gets a government contract to develop a weapon based on his star technology. Yeah, Tom Selleck wants him to build uh, <laughs> some super weapons for, <laughs> for the U.S., for Uncle Sam. And we see... As, Tom Selleck from Blue Bloods, I should say. And yeah. the flashback as he develops the, the, the various weapons he will use to become Dr. Star. Mm-hmm. But we also simultaneously in the present... As an old Dr. Star is dealing with something very sad, we don't know what it is until the very end reveal, which is that his son is dying of cancer that was probably wrought through his weapons or through his time as Dr. Star. Do they list a time for the that sequence for the... No, the, the modern day sequence? Yeah, I'd, I'd hesitated to call it modern day because I don't actually know when it's set. But right. I know it's set later, but and also it looks like the son looks like an old man. Yeah, I would assume that this... I'm going to keep calling it a modern day sequence, is sure. in the now, which in the other books is basically the present. Okay. So this would be an older man, older, old so man, we jump, Robinson. We jump from like 41 to 42, and then this other time period, which we're going to say is the present. Yeah, without any other evidence. present Yeah. Lemire's on a roll. I don't want to call him a streaky writer, but he comes with these waves of really, really strong stuff, and then he gets put on books that, that he doesn't really match with very well. Between all the stuff you mentioned earlier, or at least a lot of the stuff you mentioned earlier, and mostly these Black Hammer books. I think Black Hammer, the series itself, is one of my favorite books, probably my top five. I think the world he's created, I mean, basically is the, D- is the DCU. But this non-DCU, DCU is one of my favorite new worlds, superhero worlds that we've seen in a long time. Mm. The characters are all fun. They're not taking it too seriously, but there's a lot of serious consequences to what's going on in these stories. And it just looks, it just looks great. He gets these really terrific artists who are all in a similar style, but all have their own distinct look. This is a great, great comic. I don't know what else to say about it. And, and we say, and you know, we say it's a, it's an homage to the JSA and to Starman, and I think and James Robinson's run on Starman in particular because of the father son stuff. Yeah. But it also it feels very much at home at Dark Horse too. Yeah. Like a Hellboy. Even though Dark Horse is very, like you don't necessarily think of like a Dark Horse universe. You think of different franchises that they have, you know, like the Conan stuff and when they used to have Star Wars and everything like that. But it still feels like, yeah, kind of Mignola adjacent. Like if, you know, I can very much see this alongside, you know, Lobster Johnson or something like oh, that. Oh, for sure. If, if, if Lobster Johnson appeared in this book, it wouldn't be out of place at all. Mm-hmm. You're right. I guess there is sort of a... Dark horse aesthetic. This is a, yeah, there's it's an aesthetic and it's um and you know, part of that is is possibly Dave Stewart doing the colors <laughs> and seeing that. It's a really pretty looking book. I do love Dave Stewart's colors. I mean it's, it sounds silly to say, but he does a nice job going back and forth between the time periods and you definitely have an understanding of where you are without it being like, Oh, it's sepia tone now right. or yeah. oh, it's old newsreel footage now. It's like it's it's done in a subtle way that nonetheless uh, you definitely feel grounded in whichever setting you're in i'm interested to see where this goes and how long of a thing this is yeah sherlock frankston was four issues i think okay black hammer's ongoing yeah, this just says issue one it doesn't yeah. say uh, one know. of the other great things about this is that you can read it as paul did on your own without having read any of the books and find it enjoyable but you can also read it if i like me having read all the black hammer books and and find it really enjoyable for other reasons because there's little connections here and there that don't over- overwhelm the story. I was aware of Black Hammer. Obviously, I have the first collection on Comixology, but I hadn't read it yet. So I read this, and I didn't even notice the from the world of Black Hammer part. So I just thought this was like its own thing. Right. So it totally works that way. But now, having read it, I'm very excited to go back and read the other Black Hammer stuff. Yeah, it's really great. So I like this little this little kingdom that Jeff Lemire has created. It's a fun world. I'm happy for him to keep adding more. Because often when you get spinoffs, you're like, oh, okay. But... Mm. They've been great. They've fleshed the world out. It feels substantial. Yeah. 
it doesn't feel like a, a money grab, you know, to just build out the world. It feels like he's got stories to tell. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to derail the main plot happening in the Black Hammer book. And it's it's fun that he can go into different corners of the world. You know, with Sherlock Frankenstein, it was all about the villain portion of the world. and, and also, But that one was more tied into the main story of Black Hammer. Black Hammer is a very specific story happening. But here, he just can spend time with characters we met very briefly before in the Sherlock Frankenstein book. I think it was that one. And then mm-hmm. find out about him, find out about his origin, find out about his family. It's great. I'm happy that if these keep coming out. I'm least ecstatic. Cool, cool. So, Doctor Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrow's number one. Check it out if you like the Black Hammer world. If you like James Robinson Starman. If you like the JSA. If you just like really great comics, Silver Age style. Tom Selleck fans. If you're a Blue Bloods person, or you know, just anyone. It's good comics. It's good comics. So we had a bunch of number ones, Paul, this week. Yes. That came out, and the first we're going to talk about is the Highest House number one. This is mm-hmm. an IDW book from. The creative team of Mike Carey and Peter Gross, who you may have remembered, did the uh, why, the, the unwritten. Un- unwritten. I was going to say Unbreakable. I don't know why. And the same uh, cover artist in uh, Yuko Shimizu. And that's actually how I knew about this book, because I think I saw this cover come up on her Instagram or something. That was the same unwritten team. And it was a new number one. Okay, cool. And not from Vertigo, from IDW. Strangely. I mean, I don't read a lot of IDW books. They mostly do... Licensed books that I'm not interested in. Yeah, it's kind of a lot of licensed stuff now. So I was a little surprised when when you mentioned this book and saw that it was IDW. I actually really liked this. I thought this was really, I wouldn't want to say fun because it deals (laughs) with like serfdom and slavery and stuff. But it's, uh, it's interesting because we're in a place and I guess we've been in a place in comics for a while where, and we're going to talk about this some more as we go on this week mashups of mm-hmm. different genres like okay i'm gonna do look, later on we're gonna see a viking and alien story which is really cool but it's still refreshing to see just a straight up fantasy yeah especially i mean image has gone through a period where in the beginning of that image boom there was all different kinds of genres and it basically started living solely in the sci-fi genre and now it feels like they're living solely yeah. in the horror genre we don't often get a lot of fantasy books miller's uh the one he did with Capullo was a fantasy book of a kind. Mm-hmm. This is a pure... I'm glad there wasn't some sort of sci-fi element. I'm glad there wasn't some sort of other... There's been a lot of like space opera or like in yeah. some of it's like high fantasy, but then it's got, you know, or maybe it's like it's fantasy, but it's a detective or like, you know, it's whatever. And those are fun, you know, but it's still, it's refreshing to be like, oh, this is just straight up fantasy. This reminded me of it. I was, I thought a lot about Robin Hobb novel, um, the Assassin's Apprentice, I think. There's mm-hmm. like a whole trilogy, The Assassin's Apprentice and Fools, whatever. I don't know. But it was... um. A slave boy picked up by a magistrate or magistrar and taken to this big estate, this big castle, I guess. And there's a whole page in here dedicated to how to shingle a roof. Yeah, there is. It's, you've got like a medieval like manor or something. It like to this is you know you could use uh, stone or you could or you could use tile or, or you could wood. use wood. But and like these are the benefits of each. And then this is how you thatch and you know <laughs> this is how you layer them. And it's, I did learn a lot. I actually really yeah. loved that sequence. I was like, oh, right. And there's a there's a whole you know uncomfortable sequence in the beginning about this guy comes the this magistrar comes and everybody's all you know like bowing and kneeling and, and you know and come to stay at this medieval motel basically off the side of the interstate and he's going to pick out some slaves and everybody lines up and they've got different charges that they have that they are able to sell and there's a woman who has five kids i guess and she decides she's going to sell two of them so she can 
better afford to feed the other three. And the girl is going blind and this boy has some sense of this is something that's only sort of teased upon in this first issue that there, this boy has maybe the force or like some kind of magic ability, right. or some kind of uh, perspective. The magistrate takes an interest in him and says, OK, I'll, I'll buy this kid. And. We go back to the castle, and this is, I guess, presumably where we're going to spend most of our time with this kid, Moth, and the different uh, heads of the, you know, Downton Abbey people are, like, saying, <laughs> okay, I want, you know, this guy to be working in the kitchen for me, or no, we've got dibs because we're the roofers, and this person died or whatever, so we've got we've got dibs, so we're, I'm going to take Moth. But all the while, it's that first book of Harry Potter, right, where you're you're learning the ropes of what it's like to live in this place and how miserable it is and the pecking order and all of the obstacles that hopefully this kid will overcome, but who knows, maybe not. And the writing is really rich. There, there's a, a great sense of history. Like, people don't talk like this anymore, and so it's always fun when a writer can nail that. Yeah. And it's not just these and thous and stuff. This really feels sort of authentic, to a time, although it's not specific as any specific like real world place, it's a fantasy realm. Yeah, so the the magister himself is some sort of magical ability, right? Even though he says he's not, it's like, right? It's like, that was supposed to have been wiped out. And there's a history page where we get a lot of exposition with old sort of relief paintings. And I like at the end of that where the kids like, "How did you project that on the wall?" And he's <laughs> like, "Whatever." That's a kind of neat sort of meta thing. Just as a reader, you're like, "Okay, this is a big exposition dump." But then you find out that it actually presented in the world physically. Like this kid actually saw this projected up on a wall and like got the whole backstory of this kingdom and everything and how magic works and was, you know, driven out of uh, civilization. My favorite comedy bit, which was an unfortunate bit of comedy, was when the, the magister right in the beginning shows up to the inn and he's getting the tour and he says, we're going to be here buying slaves. And the, mm -hmm. the owner's like, slaves? There's a silent beat and you think he's going to protest. He yells to his wife, this guy's selling slaves! Up. Get our daughter. We can sell her. And it was just like, oh, in the beginning, it sort of establishes what this world is like. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a very down and dirty kind of King of Thrones thing where it's, man, this is shit. Like, this is this, <laughs> this is a this is a bad place. This poor kid. And, you, and like, it does play with expectations a bit. By that point, you're like, oh, man, these people are cruel. But you also, when the mom is saying goodbye to the kid, at first you think she's, like, really callous. Like, she's trying to sell her two kids. Um but then she like says goodbye to him. And I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying like she definitely feels something like sure. she's like very sad that she has to do this and is saying basically I need to make sure that I can feed your brothers and sisters. The needs of the many over <laughs> exactly. the needs of the few. And you can certainly imagine this being a decision that parents had to make hundreds of mm -hmm. years ago when, they, when there was not a lot of options. I mean, they had a lot of kids and it's unfortunate. The other thing that's neat real quick is just that the kid is not precocious. He's kind of an idiot. Like he's he's, he's, yeah, he's not like, like the most efficient kid in the, in the place. He's just kind of... He has, he has no idea sort of what's going on. He's, he's like, so can I come back like later? <laughs> like after you get paid? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, the, the magistrar is very condescending to everyone. And everyone's just kind of a commodity in this world. You just hope that Moth comes out on top because he's an innocent. What was interesting is that, you know, they get to the the house, the highest house, which is like the, the most powerful family. And you would think that Moth would go off with the Magister, but he doesn't. Right. He's not second into the Magister's office. He's claimed by the roofers, much mm -hmm. to the chagrin of the chef. 
I like the evil chef. That's the Downton Abbey part. It's right. like people are always like like peeking around corners listening. The chef's very upset that he didn't get moth, so he's constantly lurking in the background. And there's a bit of absurd that's bunched up against very dire circumstances. I thought this was terrific. Oh, this is really neat. It's an interesting world. I'm curious as to where it's going. It doesn't feel predictable in any way, and that's exciting. And I love the language. I love Mike Carey's writing. Yeah. The dialogue is funny. And this it feels like a meal, too. Having read you know, the first issue, it doesn't feel slight in any way. It feels like we've got a whole history of a kingdom, and there's a big mystery ahead. So I'm in for this one. We had a new number one from Robert Kirkman in Image Comics, Oblivion Song, drawn by Lorenzo Leone, colors by Annalisa Leone, Italian duo. Mm-hmm. Not often you get number one from Robert Kirkman. There's only been a couple in the last couple of years. He had, what's the one the, the, the one about demons that I stopped reading? Oh, yeah. I, don't, I know what you mean, but I, I don't remember the name. Does it, That's not still going, I guess. I think it is. Uh, Outcast? Is it? Something like that. That sounds right. So he likes O's with Oblivion Song. <laughs> this one's more in the sci-fi realm. So he's done religious horror with, we're going to call it Outcast. He's done superheroes with Invincible. He's done straight-up horror with The Walking Dead. And he's done other Invincible spinoffs. This is a straight-up sci-fi with a little... There's survival elements to it, horror elements. There's definitely body horror in it. For the first half, I was like, I don't think I like this. And then by the the end of the book, I was like, okay, there's some interesting things going on here. It gives it with a Kirkman hook. It's very high concept. It's it's not as high a concept as The Walking Dead, say, which you can pitch really easily. With this, it's it's a few steps removed from that. But it's also sort of in the same wheelhouse as that, where it's like you're dealing with bands of, sur- uh, presumably, yes. going to be dealing with bands of survivors. So, so basically, there was some kind of incident, <laughs> and we don't have a clear picture yet, the entire scope of it. But there are zones, I guess, in the United States, or a zone, where something happened and it's been cordoned off. And people have been trapped there, and it's 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 presumably like another dimension. Yeah, so that's what I got it. That it wasn't a physical place in the world; it was a dimension. So basically, it seems like there was some sort of either alien invasion or something, which a bunch of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, were zapped to an alien dimension, and they were all thought dead. There's a giant memorial for them with all their names on it. So there, there are a, a few inklings of like the leftovers to this. Yeah. And we, our small band of scientists have figured out a way to transport this dimension and then get people back one or two at a time, not very many at a time. They had an old government program to do that. Something went wrong. And they've been doing it rogue on the, on the side, trying to get that funding back because they can save more people. One of the guys, his brother is there, and he's sort of the, the, the reason why he's doing it. And then there's the whole thing, I guess, not the big reveal, but the reveal at the end is that the people who have been living in the dimension with the creatures don't know what this is and are going to fight the invaders who are actually the people trying to save them. Right. And there's maybe a sense that they've forgotten their old life. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because his brother doesn't seem to recognize... Well, he, he doesn't see him. He's wearing a doesn't mask. See him? He's wearing a mask and a hood, and he wouldn't recognize him. There's a lot of open questions here. I liked a lot of the tension that was happening between we're doing this good thing, but maybe it's not a good thing because people who come back aren't necessarily okay. It's revealed one of the scientists was a guy who was in the dimension. He's got some serious PTSD problems, and, and some of the people that are on the other dimension have mutations. And There's a lot of tension here that I enjoyed more in the end than I did in the beginning. It threw you really in... 
in the deep end and didn't give you a lot of information until the middle. They really do. And then the main guy pops out. So there, there's that sort of reversal where like these people are running away from something and there are monsters. And then you see this sort of like Boba Fett looking dude. And actually I thought like, oh man, Kirkman's been playing a lot of Destiny because he looks, <laughs> he looks like a hunter from Destiny, like with the cloak and everything and the long rifle and stuff. And, and then you find out that, okay, he's actually trying to, help these people and bring them back right. you've also yeah, you've got the doctor who he's the most interesting character to me right now yeah. with this. and there's a lot of information there's a lot going on a lot of uh, loose threads to play with um, right from the off in this first issue it's interesting i'm not i don't think it's it's a slam dunk quite in the way that the walking dead's first issue is right because even as someone who didn't stick with the walking dead for a terribly long time that first issue you have to recognize is such a it's a great first issue it's it's just yeah that's it's flat out just a great pilot and you're like okay let's see what happens here and it just it's such a, a you know a, a perfect high concept this has what i would argue is a high concept but there's so many ornaments on that, that you're kind of like, okay, what's going to take precedent? You know, like, is he going to go exactly the route that I'm interested in? Or is he going to be playing with some of the other stuff that I'm not quite as compelled by? Right. So for me, it's kind of a question mark. I think the art's pretty neat. I think it's very different than his other stuff in yeah. that, I should say Kirkman's other stuff. I think this is a different kind of collaborator for him. This is very dynamic and I like the monster designs a lot. It's really grotesque yep. in a very shocking way. Like, like the mutant designs are very... It's uncomfortable to look at some of the, like the mutations. Yeah. It's not just like rotting flesh. It's, it's, it's more like adding on to the it's body. It's growths. It's growths. It's like tumors and stuff. It's, it's pretty gnarly. So what was interesting about in the final essay at the backs is that they've already done 13 issues. Yeah, I saw that. They've got them in the can already. So the first year is going to come out on time. Which is not a small thing in these indie comic days. It's funny because I was reading the issue. I was like, I wonder how long he's had this in his back pocket. Because you know, he's probably felt beholden to The Walking Dead. I don't know how long he planned for that to run. Mm-hmm. But then it became such a runaway freight train. Yep. That I mean, he's a busy dude. He does. A, he's, he spends a lot of time yeah. on his media stuff. But he's invincible and just, he's got some more time in his comic writing. So, uh, yeah, so I actually wondered, I was like, I wonder if he like wrote this a while ago and just like put it in a drawer until he could use it. And then you find out in that letter in the back that, yeah, there's a dozen of these and they're all ready to go. So we'll see. So have you read it all, Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles? Yeah, I think these Hanna-Barbera comics are super interesting. In the same way that Jeff Lemire gets to play with these established iconic characters by doing analogs of them mm-hmm. at other publishers, like what he's doing with the JSA and Starman. Or like probably the better example would probably be the Terrifics, getting to do stuff with a Fantastic Four-like team. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's always sort of frustrating when there are licensed characters that have been around so long that you sometimes feel like the license holders feel beholden to them and they don't get to play with them that much. Mm-hmm. Whereas Hanna-Barbera's like, fuck it! <laughs> and like just flip the table over and just like do whatever you want. So Mark Russell, we talked about this before. He wrote mm. the Flintstones, one of the best books of the previous. One of my two definitely years. one of my favorites. Yeah, this has been the first issue of this series that I really enjoyed for the most part. I still don't think I understand the point. I okay, yeah, I get what yeah. Flintstones was was one long satire of modern culture and society. So mm-hmm. each issue sort of focused on a different aspect of that culture. And it felt like it was building on something and to something, 
Whereas this just kind of feels like for funsies. Right. I just, I mean, I enjoyed it. But then at the end, I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. Right. It's not a satire, really. No. I mean, like, straight up, he's not even satirizing things because he's just flat out calling her Marilyn Monroe. Well, that was, okay. So my one real criticism of the book is that Mike Fian, the artist, he draws really great creatures, really great uh, mm. cats, panthers, whatever they. He's a saber-toothed tiger, technically, or a lion. But they've started to drop in all these real people from that time period, and they don't look anything like those people. Yeah, like it's serviceable because they set it up in the script. Like, hey, Joe, and I'm like, that's Joe DiMaggio, okay. So, like, if I didn't know that was Arthur Miller he was talking to, I, I would have no idea that the blonde in the apartment was Marilyn Monroe. Just none. And then Joe DiMaggio, occasionally he gets certain aspects of him right, but he's really inconsistent from panel to panel. And then there was somebody else who shows up, but I was like, that doesn't look anything like that person. It's just tough. If you're going to have real people in it, then... Oh, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's the actor. Clint Eastwood, right, yes. Clint Eastwood's the actor who he has to fire from his play because he's terrible at stage acting, but he thinks he'd be a great Western actor. But man, I didn't put together that was Clint Eastwood at all until the middle of that conversation. Well, it's like to the point, like you see Clint Eastwood earlier as a cowboy in the, the sort of bookend thing when he's talking to the talk show host. Yeah. You see him talking about like star. It's the whole thing is actors versus stars, which was a great discussion. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And you see Clint Eastwood there as a cowboy. But I thought it was just like supposed to be a random dude dressed yeah, as a cowboy exactly. and later. And then later on, through context, you figure out that that's Clint Eastwood. And you're like, OK, so it's like. The fact that it's not a very good likeness turns it into a, a reveal. And I don't think that's intentional. I think no. like you're supposed to just know that that's Clint Eastwood. You know what else is weird is that we have all these people in the book who are the, who are named by name. So you've got Arthur Miller and you've got Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio. And Clint Eastwood isn't named, but it's, it's basically he's shown to be Clint Eastwood. It opens up with Snagglepuss and Huckleberry Hound on the Moe Franklin show, who's clearly Joe Franklin, the old talk show host. I don't know why it's not just Joe Franklin. So it's just it's just... Yeah. It's, it's confusing in that sense. However, I really like this issue otherwise. I like the conversation in the beginning about stars versus actors. I like the whole part with Arthur Miller and Marilyn and Joe DiMaggio and Joe's discussion about, about her with the, the guy who runs the diner and introducing Huckleberry Hound at the gay bar was terrific. And Quick Draw McGraw as a cop on the take. Like it's <laughs> like it's who is also gay and finds happiness with Huckleberry Hound. I like Huckleberry Hound as a just a really depressed, like almost nihilistic novelist right. who comes from the country and finds liberation in, in New York and like finds himself there. And you know what? I think it's a lot of interesting ingredients. And I think we like this issue because it has like old Hollywood stuff and we're mm-hmm. into that. And I think like some of the light parody stuff works, but I also felt that the, you know, the DiMaggio and Marilyn thing kind of doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't. They set up this thing with like, okay, Snagglepuss is going to hang out with Marilyn and Joe's mad and he's coming for them. And he's got this book of playwright addresses on his dashboard. (laughs) And he's going to and like, I thought this was all leading to some kind of showdown and like misunderstanding and stuff. And, you know, like Snagglepuss is like, I'm, you know. Like, I don't want to be involved in all this. And all he ends up doing is, like, dropping her off. Well, hiding the fact that she's with Arthur Miller. You know, he, clearly, Snagglepuss is gay. And so... I mean, yeah, but I mean, like, it's, like, even that, it's, it just, 
there are setups that don't necessarily. It's just it, it doesn't. I don't know what the point is. Which is not to say it's a bad book because it felt like even in this issue, it was mostly about other people. It was mostly about Marilyn and it's mostly about Huckleberry Hound and, and Joe DiMaggio. And, and like the authenticity of people, there's the the moment where he has the conversation with Marilyn and she says she feels like she has to be, you know, Marilyn and Marilyn's not the real her. And, you know, the, there's a reason that she's having this affair with Arthur Miller because like Arthur doesn't even go to the movies or she doesn't think he's even seen a movie before. And so her celebrity doesn't mean anything. So it's like there's like a theme. It's just like, I don't know, it, it just feels a little half-baked. Yeah, I don't. I keep reading it, but I don't. Not in the same way that I read the Flintstones. Right. So, one of my biggest disappointments this week was that in Batman Forty Two, Bruce did not irrationally knock Alfred unconscious at any point after doing it <laughs> once last time and almost doing it again last time. Went to a burger joint. <laughs> so, what is your take on this Tom King run on Batman? The whole run? Well, just or? in general, like what he's doing here. I find it really interesting. I find the sense of humor really to my liking. Mm-hmm. I find it funny in a way that a lot of funny Batman issues aren't ha-ha funny. Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in on the joke, or like I, I, I like this joke. They're almost like a comedy duo, Batman and Catwoman. They're almost like an old 40s movie couple. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the thin man. It's, it's that fun dynamic, and I really like the way he writes Catwoman and I'm excited to see where that goes. I also like, you know, I like the poison Ivy. Like I, I, I like when there's that moment where a villain snaps their fingers and the whole world changes, mm-hmm. you know, either to their liking or they've orchestrated something and it's like just slightly different. I like that. I think even more so than when they go to like an alternate reality and then you find out, Oh my God, the penguins, the mayor or whatever. Right. Or like an alternate history. I like when it's the product of a villain's like warped psyche, like how they would reframe humanity because there's a little bit more personality to it innately. And so I thought this was fun. And I kind of gasped when Batman got punched in the face and that looked like it really hurt a lot. (laughs) So the Poison Ivy is controlling the Justice League and Superman at some point punches Batman in the face and there's a big full page shot of him missing teeth and his face is all busted. And I was like, well, that's... That's a big deal. But then he's in the hospital and he seems okay. <laughs> so like Poison Ivy had a neurologist like prepared or whatever, like the, the just the right surgeons to come in and, you know, take care of him. I guess he's and then of course teeth. is the final reveal. It's interesting because this is so I mean, this is DC's flagship book. This is their number one seller. And it's mm-hmm. just so not your traditional superhero story. It's that very Tom King take that you see in Mr. Miracle, you saw in uh, Sheriff of Babylon, that, those kind of books that are like very vision. non-traditional, yeah. the vision. And they're doing it in the flagship book, and I mean, I, I find that fascinating from a business standpoint. I know sales are down since, since Snyder did it, but not down drastically. It's just, it is interesting. The one thing I didn't buy, as awesome as Catwoman is, is that she could take out all three flashes. Yeah, that gave me that gave me pause. <laughs> when when they they're running at her and she hits Barry in the throat, she kicks old Wally in the face and she kicks young Wally in the face. Like I was like, and like the idea is that it's like all in one motion and it has all three of them, of them are, but not three of them. Right, like you could see her, you know, clotheslining one of them, but yeah. I mean, she's great, but not that great. I think you have to do a little bit more work to say that these flashes are not as sharp. Right. Now that they're like under possession, 
and say and like add like say like it's not just that like she outdid them physically but it's because they're impaired in some way but you have to do a little bit of bit more legwork so to speak to kind of sell that so it so it did give me a little bit of pause there but I I just like the sensibility of it. They go to a burger joint. (laughs) I loved Selena's whole thing about like knowing that Poison Ivy can hear her, whatever she's saying. Right. And like playing up to that is just like a it's a fun little exercise to do and sort of like planning out, okay, who's going to be at the wedding? Who's going to be the best man? Who's going to, you know, and just having fun with it where Batman is also being flirty. But in, you know, you know that like 80 percent of his gray matter is toward, okay, how do we fix this? Right. And he's a little bit less able to be playful where Selena can totally do that and be funny and banter at the same time while the gears are going. I like that they both feel like really intelligent and feel like great matches for each other. They just have totally different ways of handling pressure. I think also maybe 5% of his brain was focused on punching Alfred again. Absolutely. Like that was really satisfying. I did did it once and I tried to do it again (laughs) and I'm going to try it a third time. (laughs) So Paul... How would you describe your facial hair these days? How's it going? Last time I saw you, it was full beard. You're still full beard? I am. At, for a while, I wasn't, and now I'm back to full beard again because the nor'easter. Uh, just had to grow it out and had to go full. Well, once, uh, once the snow goes away and spring is in full bloom and you want to return to normalcy to your face, you might want to consider Harry's. I use Harry's. Josh uses Harry's. We love Harry's. It's got great blades. You get a nice clean shave with really awesomely designed handles and accoutrement and also it's a great shave at a fair price which is a big deal for shaving which is why over three million people have switched to harry's jeff and andy just two guys like you and me paul they uh, they got fed up with being charged arm and leg for razor blades and they started harry's to fix shaving they went to germany paul and bought a factory just to make their own blades wow that's really the only difference between me and you and jeff and andy is they own a factory <laughs> and we don't they have some gumption otherwise it could have been you and i but we we're sitting here talking. They went there and they did some action. Harry stripped out all the unnecessary features. There's no vibrating handles. There's no heating blades. There's no 15 lubricating strips. It's just what you need to shave your face. And then that means all the unnecessary costs are gone. You get a perfect razor at an amazing price. A good shave comes down to good blades. Because Harry's owns the factory we just mentioned, they'll be able to deliver amazing quality blades. Which is $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you'll pay at the drugstore. And all the products are backed by 100% quality guarantee. So Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades. They'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash ifanboy. Just pay for shipping. Claim your free trial set today. It's a $13 value. It's free. Just sign up and cover shipping. And your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. That's all on your set. It's free. If you go to harrys.com slash ifanboy right now, you can get that shave set for free. harrys.com slash ifanboy. You can't beat that deal. The simplicity appeals to me because I'm tired of my razor looking like a Tron weapon. Well, check it out. I, I have a beautiful orange Harry's razor. It looks all pale orange. It feels like I'm in Palm Springs when I'm shaving. It's a great experience. Check it out. Harry's.com slash iFanboy. Now, before we did the show, I said, Paul, you read Mech Cadet U, and you said you read the first issue, but you wanted to read more. This week, number seven came out. Were you able to read any more before the show started? Yes, I was. Are you all caught up? I'm caught up. It's a whole thing. I feel like this is a book you would enjoy. This is really fun. This is like a slightly cuddlier, more rounded-edged Gundam, mm-hmm. and I'm into that. You're a mech guy. That's why I knew. Yeah, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an old 
I'm an old anime guy. I used to moderate an anime message board. Don't go looking for that. I don't know if the servers still <laughs> don't. I should. I've That's said too terrific. much. No, but I, I like that. This this feel actually feels like like real old school Gundam, um, like zero zero one stuff, where it's like a whole sort of found family of people. Yep. And there's a, a nice sense of diversity there, and I like the interpersonal stuff. It's not just mecha battles, which are fun. This is more of a, a red tape kind of issue, I would say. <laughs> well, in this issue in particular, so as we've seen before, the aliens have been attacking Earth, and the mech cadets have been fighting back as best they can, but they've been pulled off the battlefield here by the government to return to base for unknown reasons in the beginning, and we find out it's because the government wants to use their mech's power cores to fuel the giant mech who's going to save the day. And so, of course, they rebel because their mechs are like their friends, and they don't want to see their hearts Bronto's dead. Out. That was a very sad scene when, when they pulled like Bronto's power It's not just like a power, power core. core. Like they, it's a heart. It's his heart. Um, it was very sad. It's very sort of organic looking, and it's actually it's much more traumatic when the robots are so friendly looking. and. Right. They're a little bit more organic than, say, a Gundam, which is... Well, it's like pulling the heart out of Iron Giant. That's... I know. I, I traumatized you. Similar thing can happen when you take the Iron Giant poster and print Ready Player One on it. <laughs> you can feel a little bit traumatized and a little bit betrayed. One of the things I liked about this issue is that the young woman who has been sort of set up as Yu's antagonist sort mm-hmm. of takes the reins here to become the rally and cry. And, and she's being set up to help the government out, but now you don't know quite whose side she's on. She helps you get away. Yeah. She helps the old grizzled guy with the awesome scar, who's the original mech cadet, get away. And so now she's a bit more complicated. She used to be sort of the mustache-twirling villain, but now she's a bit more complicated. So I like that a lot. I'm excited to see now the team has sort of gone rogue now. And they're they're sort of off the leash from the government. We'll see how I, I don't know how long that lasts. If that's the new status quo, or if you know maybe like the bureaucracy changes or something. But this is you know this is a very, this is like back with uh, like the Alias TV show, where like the status quo would just completely shift. Like now the bad guys are the good guys, and we're working with whoever. And so that's always fun to shake things up like that, mm-hmm. and to just completely change the rules of the story. So this feels like a pivotal issue. But I'm a little bit more excited just to see what's in the next one. Yeah. Tell me about the Spider King number one. This is a really fun book. Um, so I mentioned earlier Vikings and Aliens. Mm-hmm. And some mashups are just kind of like they're literally just that. Like you just take the two action figures and smush them together and now kiss. This is, a, <laughs> I think, a bit more thoughtful. The art style is also really fun. It's kind of – I was trying to think about think – for video game fans out there who are listening, Darkest Dungeon. It looks a lot like that. It's very shadowy, very blocky characters, um, big hands. Uh, Scotty Young did a variant cover for this. So if you think of Scotty Young by way of Mike Mignola mm. and just those heavy shadows, big like blocky, cumbersome. Every nose is a turnip. <laughs> just great-looking character designs. This is actually kind of a rich – there's a rich sort of lore to this where the aliens only come in later, and that kind of surprised me. It's not just like the end page reveal. It's not So it's not that either. It's somewhere in between. But they're sort of like a larger Viking group and a group of usurpers that kill their leader. And then years later, the son of the original leader and like all the old folks and – you know, sort of like the guys who are missing part of their arms and legs from battles, like the, all the battle damage dudes mm-hmm. and loyalists to the to the king 
for lack of a better term, are going after the usurper. And the usurper, Eric, takes them, basically takes them out, decimates them. And so there's these two Viking fragments. And then there's also a more manner-born, well-positioned Viking dynasty with a younger princess and she goes out and she's going to seek adventure and fortune and stuff because she doesn't want to let these renegades come and take the castle. Meanwhile, aliens land. <laughs> so you've got all of this like, you know, cloak and dagger intrigue and also very rough and guttural Viking action. But then there's this alien species. And what I really liked about it is they're super creepy and they thought of an interesting way of making them scary right away and also figuring out how they communicate with Vikings. And that's by the alien basically stabbing a human that it's eating and then having some kind of neural link with it and using the corpse to speak for it. Huh. So it's got some really nasty body horror stuff. And even if you just like, you know, the show Vikings or, you know, <laughs> or Game of Thrones or whatever, like that kind of just fantasy and Warcraft stuff. Mm -hmm. It's got that, but then also just like really scary aliens. And I think there's also like a robot alien that also crashed and he might be involved with the good guys. I don't know if there are good guys. They're all nasty people. They say the C word and that wasn't friendly. So be forewarned of that. It is not a uh, all ages book. It's got a sort of cartoony look. Josh Van and who is the artist? Simone de Ar Armini. Simone de Armini. Really good start. I'm interested to see where this goes. This is this is a good pilot right here. I wanted to mention X-Men Red, number one. I am really liking it. Uh, as I mentioned before, last week or the week before, I dropped X-Men Gold and Blue because I wasn't really enjoying them. But okay. this one's been fun so far. I wanted to mention because the only knock on the book I have is that from otherwise terrific art from Mahmoud Arsrar, he draws... Jean Grey, who's supposed to be the older seasoned Jean Grey, Back from the Dead, to look back like she's... Back from the Dead? She looks like she's 16. It's just odd because, you know, there is, is a... Is Jean still around? She's still around, so that's why it's that's, odd because it's a little confusing yeah. because there is a young Jean who runs around, while this one should look more mature and veteran, where she does not. Mm. So that's the only knock I have in the book. What's the roster on this one? I had forgotten that it was older Jean because she draws her so young. Uh, the roster on this book is Jean Grey, Nightcrawler... X-23, Honey Badger, Namor, and I guess they're adding Gambit next issue, which is annoying, <laughs> but I like the oddness of the group. I mean, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Namor, X-23, and Honey Badger is, a, is That's an interesting a I like that yeah. as a roster. That's fun. So it's, it's, a bit of, it's been a fun book. It's totally been fun. The only knock is that Jean needs to be a little older looking. That's it. Mm. I wanted to mention uh, Monstro Mechanica. The number four issue just came out. I wouldn't say this is the best jumping on point. It's also early enough that go back and grab the first issues or grab the collection. I think this is something that a lot of listeners would really like. It's just appealing on so many different levels. It's an historical adventure series from Paul Allor and this amazing artist, Chris Evanhus. Hmm. We believe did the um, Winona Earp comic series or does the Winona Earp comic series really clean art. If you like, you know, if you like Jamie McKelvey right. sort of in in that vein, but very clean. There seems to be a bunch of artists who are showing up who have a Jamie McKelvey style. So I think we're starting to see yeah. that next wave of people who have been influenced by those kind of guys. That totally makes sense. Yeah. I could see Jamie being a, 
a big inspiration for a lot of artists, and that's that's exciting to think about. Yeah. So it's it's historical intrigue. I had to tweet about it because it just felt like people got to check this book out. I called it Pope and Dagger because it does involve the Medicis and the Pope at the time of Leonardo da Vinci. And just the way you want it, Leonardo da Vinci is an arrogant asshole. And the real protagonist is his female apprentice, Isabel. And she is sort of tasked with maintaining and being the handler for da Vinci's wooden automaton. Mm-hmm. So he's got this wooden robot. And I like that, like, even if you go back to the first issue, it don't entirely explain how this robot works or like how just what level of sentience it has or how you control it. There's clockwork involved. Hmm. And Isabel is is kind of been watching over these four issues the robot sort of learn in one issue, the robot mimics all of her gestures. And then she says, eventually you're going to have to stop just mimicking me and you're going to have to disobey me. Cause I want to, cause I think her goal is really, I want to teach this sort of golem. If you think of it that way, more yep. than a robot, how to be sentient and then how to be intelligent. So this sort of pet project for her, but then it's all sort of caught up in this battle for this town in Tuscany. Volterra. Paul Eller's really good with the real world history. Some of the characters are speaking Italian some of the time, and I assume that that is all accurate. And <laughs> but it it has a, a real feel of he really knows like the Medici's and the time and the place and the intrigue going on. There's some really shadowy stuff going on with the Pope and some of his acolytes. And Da Vinci is sort of like playing everyone in a little finger. I keep mentioning Game of Thrones today. Yeah. But honestly, like he's, he's, he's sort of like, he's at, he's sort of out for himself and he's like, okay, now by this issue, he's talking about the robot maybe becoming like sentries for the town, like becoming sort of like federal agents, for lack of a better term, or like, or like guards rather than just being his own experiment. It's really compelling. The art is gorgeous. And as much intrigue there is and as much history as there is, it's also just kind of like funny and swashbuckling. So I think a lot of people would really enjoy this one. And that's from Aftershock Comics. But yeah, the first four issues are out now. So grab those. Okay, cool. So those are the books we wanted to talk about. If you go to patreon.com slash ifanboy and you, and you sign up there, anyone who gives at any level can vote every week for a book to be added to the show. It's called The Patron Pick. And this week we had a grudge match between the highest house and the winner, Gideon Falls, number one, from Image Comics, Jeff Lemire again. It's a Jeff Lemire show. And Andrea Sorrentino on art. Dave Stewart on colors. Steve Wands on letters. So this was the patron pick. It, it clawed to the top and it held off the highest house. Have you seen a lot of promos for this? A lot um, of promos. This is the, the uh, I want to say reunition. That's not a word, though. Uh, this is the reunion? Reunion. It's been a long day. It's been a longer week. Jeff Lemire <laughs> and Andrea Sorrentino did Green Arrow together. And then they did Old Man Logan together. So now they're back with Gideon Falls. There's a lengthy history in the back where Lemire says this is a project that has been in the back of his mind for a really long time. And even he attempted to do it like he he was doing like the same like he did like a three. He said like did like a 300 page graphic novel, but then he just kind of trashed it and started over about one of the characters. This was sort of the pet project that they had in secret him and Sorrentino when they were working on Old Man Logan. Like, after this is done, we're going to do our own creator-own book. And this was the thing that he's had in mind. What did you think of this particular story? So we've got two very interesting 
but also very mysterious characters who at this point have yet to, they're just in parallel. They haven't met yet. They haven't intersected. We've got a priest who is coming to a rural town. Gideon Falls is the town. It's, he says in the first page, I don't think I noticed in the first right. page. He's showing up to Gideon Falls with the new pastor, Father Fred. Father Fred is a new priest. Yeah. Father Tom is the priest that presumably died and he is coming to replace. And he meets sort of the lady who volunteers at the rectory who has a prosthetic hook hand and seems to be just want to hang out with the priest. And um, I went to Catholic school and I know those ladies very well. And that felt very authentic. Yeah. Just ladies who are kind of bored Lonely. and just want to hang out and do some church stuff and flirt with the priests. And yeah, unfortunately, she's done by the end of this. Issue, <laughs> it's not an issue for Fred anymore. She's dead. In parallel, there's a, there's a mysterious character who is in, is it Toronto? I'm trying to see, recognize the skyline. It looks like it's Toronto. It would make sense because that's where that would make sense. Lumiere thought of the idea. I will say Toronto. In Toronto, meeting with his therapist about his compulsion to pick up random items from the street and bring them home as clues in a vast conspiracy. And he tells her he's done with it, but he's actually not. As we see, he's been picking up these random items and bagging and tagging them. And he brings them home to his giant shelf full of items with their information on so them. So he's managing. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's going through some stuff. He's also wearing a mask while doing it. Yes. Just all the time. Not like a Batman mask, but like one of those... Uh, like a, like an avian flu mask yeah. kind of... What I had to wear when I had pneumonia. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, on the plane. That was fun for everybody. So there's these two stories happening. that they, Presumably they will, they will mix. I think it's the, the mysterious guy whose name I don't, I don't remember. He sees a vision of the church in Gideon Falls. Is that is that it? Right. Is it Look Norton? His name. Yes, his name is Norton. Norton. <laughs> so I liked it. I didn't love it. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, it's like it's it was it was fine. It's uh, it's Norton Sinclair. One of the things we've we've had on this Paul is that I would say I'll be generous. Three out of five times, the patrons will pick a horror book. Oh, interesting. Okay. Despite the fact that Josh and I are on record uh, all over and over saying we don't like horror books, still trying to get one through the goalie. But I don't really love horror. And... This is a big creative team. I feel like we would probably talk about this even if it wasn't the patron pick. Sure. Yeah. This has been heavily promoted. For me, I like Andrea Sorrentino's art when placed well. I feel like here with the Norton character, who's very dramatic. This comes off a little bit like the visual equivalent of the Christian Bale Batman voice. Mm. It's very serious. Right. We see Norton like upside down. Things turn red. Like everything yeah. is very gritty and scary. And like it kind of feels like not the style itself, but the mood feels like something from a bygone era of comics. Yeah, I, can, I, I see what you're saying. I just feel like it's a little bit much. His art worked for me on Green Arrow, and I think it works for something like Old Man Logan. But for some reason here, it being a horror book, it feels a little, a bit much. Yeah. It feels like, all right, let's pull back a little bit. My other, and this is this is a minor, this is a nitpicky thing. Mm -hmm. And we don't know everything about Norton, but the therapist office and the therapist's presentation, the outfit, I get the sense that Norton is loaded. That looks like a very expensive therapist office. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's it's Canada. Maybe in Canada, <laughs> you know, yeah. everyone gets to go to the fancy therapist. But for me, it doesn't necessarily ring true. It just feels like I don't get the sense that Norton has the kind of cash 
unless he's like a trust fund kid. Like maybe we find out in issue two or three that he's been living in the city, but actually he has these really well-to-do parents and they're paying for him to go to this. But it looks like that looks like a very lavish (laughs) mental health hospital. Perhaps. Let's do our ratings on it. Ratings out of five. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of five. Andreas Martino's art, I like it, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's... It's not bad. It's not, it can be oppressive, but I do like it. So 3.5. I would say I would give it a higher rating if it were just the Father Fred stuff, because mm-hmm. I find that more interesting. But where it leaves off, and for the Norton stuff, I would give it a 3. Okay, and are you sticking with it? I will be watching other reviews for future <laughs> issues to see if it's something that... I should catch up with. I am also a no. So that's Gideon Falls, patron pick. In addition to the patron pick, if you go to patreon.com slash ifanboy to give it the $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower live on the show. Okay. So let's. this is Paul's first time. It's a lot, he's, of, res- he's, he's it's a lot of responsibility to give someone a superpower. Yes, it is. Did you give the people like sort of a guarantee on when this will manifest in them? Well, you. I mean, that could be like, part I don't of the story. Be, I, I don't want to be legally... No, no, no. You're fine. Like if there are repercussions. There are no repercussions. You're all right. All right. Our lawyers assured us. So the first patron we're to thank comes with the mysterious name of Count DQ. Count DQ. Count DQ is going to be responsible for his own superpower. Count DQ can fire blizzard ice cream treats from his hands. Is there nougat involved? Like, just get his choice of... He can manifest any, any Dairy Queen blizzard from his Oreo, hands. Oreo crumbles. If he feels like this is the best opportunity for Oreo, for M&M's. Reese's cups. Anything. Heath bars. What's All in of a them. Heath bar? I don't, uh, it's orange, isn't it? Um, but orange? It looks like... I just have the idea of breaking Heath bar. I always mix up so. Heath bars and, and... Was it Score? They were in the black wrapper. Uh, Anyway, the point is he can shoot it at various velocities, so it could be an offensive weapon, or he could just fill up a cup. Okay, I thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to say who he's able to shoot it at. I was like, I no, feel no. like that's up to his discretion. No, no, no. He can he can control though the velocity. He's the count, damn it. The, the velocity and also the flavoring of Blizzard. So that is Count DQ's power. Josh Ro- uh, Rousen mm-hmm. or Rosen. Josh, your ability you can thank me later is. You can pick up produce and just know exactly what the scale is going to say. You're not even going to have to use the scale. You're going to know the weight of a kumquat. Oh. Or just like if you picked up a mound of kale, you would know exactly what that scale would say. You wouldn't even have to bother. But they'd probably make you do it anyway. Like they probably. They're not going to trust him at the. At the they're not, I don't know if they're necessarily. Like maybe after time and he's built up a renown in his area. So he has got like scale hands kind of. They'll be like. Dang that Josh, he knows how many strawberries he can get. Does You'll be able to just pluck them out and know exactly. And you'll just be like, you know, when people do the thing with their hands, the yep. scales, well, you'll literally be able to do that. And it's not just guesstimating. Is it only for fruits and vegetables? It's only produce. Oh, only produce. Yeah, that's, okay. just, that's just how it shakes out sometimes. But, you know, good for, you know, your diet. Graham Lackey, or Lakey, Graham Lakey, thanks for being a patron. Graham's power is... That he can manifest on his head any any hairstyle that he wants. Pompadour at will. So he just pops a pompadour on his head, or maybe he's feeling more like dreadlocks that day, or perhaps some sort of uh, 90s Caesar cut. I had a Caesar cut for a while. 
my grandmother liked it because she looked just like that George Clooney on Listen, the everyone. I didn't really. Everyone tried to be George Clooney in the 90s. It's fine. It's important that we, that we tried. He can manifest. It's right. No one succeeded. We all tried. So anyway, Graham can manifest any, any look, any haircut, any style. But it's his hair. So it's not like it's different color. It's just, but it's, just, it's, a different, it's a style. It's a style thing. Mullet. Mm. So anything like that. Flat top. Mike Moran, you, sir, are going to be able to disrupt GPS units. Meaning when he's around them, they don't work? Yeah, which is he, kind he of which can be problematic. Yeah, I guess so. You know, that's that's I think would be the pro, is that he can't be tracked. Like if someone puts a tracer on him, he's right. not going to turn up on their their phone or, or his whatever. his iPhone is not tracking all his movements. Exactly. But he also can't use location services, which is the downside. It's bad though if he's trying to get to the Grand Canyon and he hasn't been there before. Right. But there's like apps you can get. <laughs> Paper maps. Kick it old yeah. school, Mike. I'm not saying if he went into MapQuest, like just on his phone, mm-hmm. and it would just be like if he had, you know, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi turned off. Right. I it just you. wouldn't be as accurate as it could be. His electronic field disrupts GPS. I get it. Makes sense. Yeah. It involves radiation, but you don't have to be worried about that. Safe radiation. The good kind. Yeah. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go and join up at the $5 higher level. Get your superpower. Thank you for joining up Mike, Graham, Josh, and the Count. We really appreciate it. As we said, Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can help the show directly. Our next stretch goal is a monthly non-comics media podcast. So if you want to hear that, you can go over to Patreon.com and join up. Also, if you want to get your own superpower, vote in the uh, patron pick or in the monthly hangout, which which we'll be doing shortly. So that's all happening at Patreon ifanboy.threadless.com that's where you can go buy t-shirts the ifanboy logo the herm the pick of the week podcast the ratings the one is electro the gdat shirt with more coming soon and if you're listening to this show right away on Sunday or Monday or morning the 12th ending March 12th 10am central time we've got free shipping so up until that point free shipping over orders with $45 or more US $80 or more international you'll find the shipping code on the website so if you're an early riser, an early podcast listener, you want to get a t-shirt, and you, want to, you don't want to pay shipping, now's the time to do it. So check that out. I found it at slash Amazon. That's where you can find all of our books, blood books, as well as a general Amazon link. And I found slash support is where you can help us out with a direct donation. As we said before, it's tax season. If you need to unload some cash, that may or may not be how it works. But if you do, that's where you can do it. I slash support. Let's do some emails. Greg M. from Wernersville, Pennsylvania. Do you know where that is, Paul? Vaguely. It's probably out west from here. <laughs> Most Winter, things are. Wernersville, Pennsylvania. He writes, I recently discovered the Twitter account at Alfred's hairline, which tracks the varying levels of Alfred's receding or not hairline. This made me think, where is the perfect level of Alfred Pennyworth's baldness? Is it completely bald on top with hair on the sides? Hair on the sides with a slight come over on top? Hair on top receding further back with a bald spot? A full head of Michael Caine hair? Hmm, that's a good question. And I think the color is also important. Sure. What I find amusing is that an artist who is otherwise terrific, Raphael Albuquerque, draws him with a full head of hair. Mm. It's almost like he's never You're seen Alfred. You're against that. I'm against it. Okay. It's fine on the movie screen when you're casting an actor. I get that kind of thing. However, to me, Alfred should be male pattern baldness, the ring of hair on the sides, and it should be black, and that should be it. That's the only Alfred. Who's, who's Alfred now? Jeremy Irons? Jeremy Irons. He looks technically looks speaking right. is Alfred. Technically speaking, <laughs> yes. There's a character in the script called Alfred, and he reads those lines. <laughs> Where's your perfect Alfred? 
there's got to be a little bit of comb over going on, I think. Oh, so you're a comb over Alfred guy. There, there's a, like a little bit of like extreme widow's peak, but like a widow's peak that's like a comb forward. Huh. Wow. Wait. Whoa. Interesting. Which Alfred is this from? I don't know. I just, I'm just sort of picturing it in my head. So you like Alfred who's... I think, I'm, I think what I'm picturing is like an Alex Ross Alfred, actually. Like a Morrison era. I think that's what's in my head right now. You're thinking of like a, an Alfred who has hardly any but some hair on his head. So he combs it over and up front to the front. I think it, it should be an ordeal in the morning. Like you should see Alfred coming in and it looks great, but you're like, man, he had to put that together. And like, you should never, we should never see Alfred like fresh out of bed. You should never see like Alfred with bed hair. No, no, no. That's whatever it is. It just sort of come together. But like, so how how do you feel about white hair versus like black hair? Or like, if he's got like the white sort of like, like the Reed Richards thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm a black hair Alfred guy and I, that one of the only things I could criticize the original animated series was that it was, you know, all gray hair, Alfred. Mustache, no mustache? Mustache for sure. Okay. I feel like, you know, Michael Caine could have had a mustache. I feel like Jeremy Irons, come on, throw a mustache on him. Certainly. I mean, if there's anyone who could rock a mustache, it's Jeremy Irons. If you could take Henry Cavill's mustache. That's right. They should have just had play Irons. Alfred. Just thin it out a little bit and put it on Jeremy oh, Irons. God. Just makes me. I still haven't seen that. Sad to think about it. I haven't seen Justice League yet. Josh just watched it on a plane. We might talk about it the next hangout, just because it's. Oh it's a, that's a good thing to say for a hangout. Yeah. Okay, so good. I'm going with classic Alfred, you know, pattern baldness, hair on the sides, black with mustache and my and the black and, hair. So, so in his youth, he had full head of black hair. Yes. Yes. Think you, you don't think he was born with like. Well, semi bald. I mean, there's a possibility he was born in the tuxedo with like the teapot, the hair. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility. I'm not going to say that didn't happen. Okay. Carl P. I just binge read Point Blank and both volumes of Sleeper over the last few days after realizing it was the only Brubaker Phillips work I hadn't got to. And my God, was it good. Not sure why I didn't read it way back in 06 when Josh continually mentioned it on the show. Anyway, that brings to my question. If you could have back any book or creative team from Pick of the Week past, what would you choose? You could have any book, so, so just like resurrect a new a book. run. Okay, that's tricky. It's you know, because over the years talked about, you know, you can't go back again. Mark Wade coming back to the Flash, and then those twins. Right. I would still, I would love so, to still be reading Scalped, but it ended and it's over, so I don't want to bring okay. it back. I do miss reading it. If there's one book I would like to have back, I would like for. Thor, the Mighty Avenger, to get its final three issues. Damn. That was what I was going to say. Uh, well, it's fine. We can we can have consensus. It, it was supposed to go 12. It only went nine. It's a bummer that they didn't finish it. I get why they ended it. It sucks. If they could just go back and do those last three issues, that would be great. I'd be happy with that. You can also pick it. We can have consensus. I, I mean, that, that like that was the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah, I think, I think I'd have to go that because I just I, rem- I remember when... I was out walking one night and I got like a text or something or like I saw it on Twitter. It, it was, I don't know if it would have been Twitter on my phone. This is so long ago. Yeah, it was but long I ago. heard I was, I was away from home and I heard about it and I got home and I just sat on the stoop outside my house and was just sad about it. And I was just like, I just felt like, man, like why does, 
like why can't more people see how great this is and just how <laughs> like refreshing and good and wholesome this is right while also being sexy and wrong in ways yeah yeah i mean sure. that that launched that launched i fanboy memes before there were memes you know exactly that would be the one just you know just three more issues that's all just three more issues Mm-hmm. So there you go. Contact at ifanboy.com. That's where you can write in like Carl and Greg. Thanks for writing in and contributing to the show. A couple of quick things to plug. Josh did his talk split with Rob Guillory, which you can find back on the feed. It's our bi-monthly interview show that the patrons unlocked. This month they have unlocked the Booksplode. And we have not fully decided, although we have talked about one book. So that's probably going to be it. We just haven't officially given us uh, the green light on it. Otherwise, we announce it here, but it'll be happening soon. Okay. Also, back in the feed, you can find a Black Panther show that Paul and I did with Ryan Haupt, who was on the show last week. That's fun. And that was a good show. You can find that discussion back on the feed. Happy birthday, Haupt's mom. Oh, is that? Happy birthday to Ryan Haupt's mom. I don't know if it's, if today is her birthday, but I think this weekend they're celebrating her birthday. My invitation was lost in the mail. Yeah, mine too. Paul, in April, we have two uh, animated branch shows on the schedule. We have one for the Suicide Squad film, which you and I don't want to watch, but Ryan's very excited <laughs> for. And then two weeks later is the Batman Ninja movie. So It looks so weird. So you can look forward to those Buster animated Bluth shows. Buster is Joker. It's going to be an interesting April. So uh, look out for more special edition shows. Also, Wild. you'll have Avengers, now that they moved it up in the schedule from May to April. So in April, there'll right. be Avengers Infinity War. And as we mentioned last week, Jessica Jones is out this week, but we probably won't have Jessica Jones shows. Those are your upcoming shows to check out. Good time to be a fan of things that are Mm -hmm. good. So I've got a book coming out. Oh. Just in my spare time, just wrote a book. Who let you do that? Fanbase Press, uh, which actually used to be Fanboy Press, but they've changed their name to Fanbase Press. No relation. Smart. Uh, (laughs) But uh, so I wrote a graphic novel. This is not how you should start, like, break into comics this way. Don't write a graphic novel. (laughs) It's it's a lot of work. It takes a long time. But I am actually very proud of what we have come up with, me and my team. So The Margins was co-authored by me, my buddy David Acampo, who has uh, been on the show over the years. I'm sure he's done some guest spots in places. Yes. He also wrote Lost Angels, of course, which you go out and buy now. And our artist is Amanda Donahue. This is her first comics work. And when you see her stuff, you're not going to believe that. But it'll make more sense when I say that she works in animation. So she's done all kinds of different work in animation. And it really shows because her characters are really expressive. Mm -hmm. And the storytelling is so, so good. It's a story about a fantasy world and a woman who is drawing a comic book so it's a bit meta in that way she's drawing a comic book based on a story that she doesn't know is actually stolen from a pulp manuscript from the 30s and as it turns out the original author of that work is not quite done with it yet so there's a bit of a never-ending story vibe to it going between the real world and fantasy world it's a lot about creativity and the creative process it's about gatekeeping it's really fun We had so much fun doing it, and it's finally coming out July 23rd this year. You can pre-order it now. I will say we're not going through Diamond. You can go through the publisher, Fanbase Press, and pre-order it. And if you do so, you'll get a signed book plate, 
plus a sketch from Amanda. She's going to be doing a bunch of them because we've gotten a bunch of pre-orders. And <laughs> I feel really bad now. Um, no, but she's excited to do those. And um, she'll, so she'll do an awesome character sketch for you. And then Dave also wrote a short story, and we'll release that as a PDF. And that's kind of a companion piece to the margins. So you can read it before or after or whatever. And then I have some pros in the back of the book. It's a 120-plus page graphic novel with a bunch of extras and commentary in the back because they're processed junkies. And uh, it will eventually be available from Amazon and Comixology. That's great. That's uh, exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> it's big news. Thanks. We'll have the link, I guess, in the show notes. Yeah, so yeah. If, if you can go and pre-order that. But uh, otherwise, go to fanbasepress.com. We're also on Twitter at The Margins Comic. And we're on Facebook as uh, The Margins Comic as well. Awesome. Man. Head over to ifanboy.com. That's where you can find all of our podcasts. And a quick note, we recently changed podcast providers. You may notice that on the website it's a whole different player now on the top of the page. Many of you have asked us, what the hell happened to the direct download link? I like to directly download the show and listen to it on my computer. It's there. It's just hidden one step removed on the player. You click on the share button and then you'll see a download button. It's a down facing arrow. It's there. It's just no longer on the front page. But you can still download the show as you always did on the new player by clicking share and clicking download. So there you go. New player on the website, new podcast hosting. It's nice. It's much better. We are very happy. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ifanboy and at ifanboy on Twitter. That's where you can find out what the pick is before the show comes out. And you can follow us individually at J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram, at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram, and at Fuzzy Typewriter. That's on Twitter and Instagram, Paul? That's right. Yep. You're, you're keeping it consistent, unlike Ryan, who broke it up. Yeah. <laughs> Not good, Ryan. And if you dig the show, make sure to write the guys a review. Leave a star rating on iTunes. Better yet, you can tell your friends all about the show. Introduce your mom to podcasts. Help spread that iFanboy love. And just personally speaking, I want to thank longtime listeners and new listeners. Because without the iFanboy community, I wouldn't have met Dave. Wouldn't have been able to make this comic. And I learned so much you know, over the years at iFanboy. It uh, feels like family, so it was great to be back this week. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope you dig the comic if you decide to check it out. Thanks for doing the show this week, Paul. Very excited to have Thanks, you. Thanks, man. It's fun. A little it's, rusty, but get back in there. Knock the rust off. Maybe we'll have you back yeah. at some point in the future. Maybe we'll get all three of us back. That'll be fun. Ooh. But until that happens, until next week, when hopefully Josh returns from his walkabout, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. See you next week. I can see